good morning. We're in the middle of a study, but you just jump in right with us today. We're studying about what God wants to produce in us. God didn't just save us from something, he saved us to something. And what God wants to do is he wants to form in you and me the very character of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you're starting a journey, and that journey is going to lead to Christ being formed in you. And that's described very well in Galatians, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we're in the middle of looking at each one of those virtues one at a time, and today we come to the virtue of goodness. And tell you the truth, we struggle with this particular virtue uh, because as evangelicals, we're so afraid that people are gonna misunderstand the gospel. They're gonna somehow think that we're saying to the world, hey, just be good, try to be good. If you'll be good enough, maybe you'll measure up and maybe you'll make it to heaven, which is heresy. None of us can be good enough to go to heaven because if we were gonna get to heaven based on our goodness, we would have to be perfect because we have a God who has a high standard is a perfect standard. And so the only way you and I get saved is when we just come and we admit that we are not good, that we fall short. And we come to God and we just ask for his mercy, we ask for his forgiveness, and he saves us by his grace. In fact, one of our favorite scriptures as evangelicals is Ephesians 2, uh, verses eight and nine. Look there, it's on the back of your worship guide. It says, for gr by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. But sometimes we forget about verse 10. Don't forget about verse 10. For verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. Why did he save us? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We don't need to de-emphasize good works. What we need to do is we need to get it on the right side of salvation. Good works is not what saves us, but if we're truly saved, the Bible says we will produce good works. Now, if we're not careful, we get to be known as followers of Christ by what we don't do by, then rather than what we do. I remember when I was in high school and I would start talking to someone about my faith and, and what I believed in and they would ask this question. They'd say, well, what church do you go to? And I grew up over in Pleasant Grove. I went to Bethany Baptist Church and I would tell them and they go, oh, you're a Baptist. And then they began to list all the things that they heard Baptists did not do, which kind of bugged me because I didn't want my life defined by what I had subtracted out of my life, but rather what God had added to my life. And while it is true that when you come to follow Christ, he does ask for a little bit of subtraction because he wants to get the weeds out of the garden. But the reason he wants to get the weeds out of the garden is so the fruit will grow. The Bible doesn't say that they'll know we're Christians by our lack of weeds. It says that they'll know that we're Christians by the fruit that he produces in us, particularly the fruit of love. You know, some of Jesus' greatest critics were people of subtraction, 
whose religion was marked by what they did not do. And they were always talking about you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. But listen to what it says in Acts about Jesus Christ. In Acts 10, 31, it says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The life of Jesus, the life that we are following was marked not by what he didn't do, but it was marked by what he did. He went around doing good. And if you're truly a follower of Christ, you will do a lot of good. Now, the encouragement today is to be plus people, not, subtract, not subtraction people. And we're to be trust, uh, plus people for several reasons. One reason is that the scripture tells us that it's bad not to do good. In James, the fourth chapter, in verse 17, it says it this way, therefore... To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him, it is a sin. Now, there are two kinds of sin. Most of us know that. There's a sin of commission uh, when we do something that God has told us not to do, particularly in the Ten Commandments. We're not to lie. We're not to steal. We're not to commit adultery. We're not to murder. And, and, and that is true, but the Bible also talks about sins of omission, those things that we ought to be doing, and yet if we fail to do those things, the Bible says that's a sin as well. And it's a, it's a lot easier many times to pick up on sins of commission because when you do something you know God doesn't want you to do, usually the Holy Spirit smacks you really quick. And you, go, and you start feeling bad about it and you confess, oh, God, I'm sorry I, I did that, and then we make promises we can't keep like I'll never do that again. But it's a little different with sins of omission, isn't it? Because we know that we should be more generous. And so we say, you know, I am going to be more generous someday when I get all my finances straightened out. And we know we should witness. And we say, you know, today wasn't the right day. Someday I'll, I'll share a witness with my neighbor. And, and, and we know that we should help someone out who's in, in a time of need. And we think, you know, I'm just going to get my calendar straightened out. Maybe next Saturday. And we rationalize the fact that we're procrastinating, that we're not doing what God wants us to do and so we never come to that point of time where we feel the guilt for what we've done so we never confess the sins of omission and yet the bible says that it's just as dangerous as a sin of commission several years ago in dallas there was a, a woman who was arrested she was tried she was convicted and sent to prison for doing nothing. That's right, she had a boyfriend, a live-in boyfriend, who fed hard liquor to her two-year-old and the two-year-old died. And she did nothing. She knew what had happened, she didn't call the police, she didn't call the medics, she let the child die. Didn't even report it to the police. Now the guy who gave the little preschooler that liquor that killed him went to prison, but the woman who knew that it was her responsibility to do something and did nothing, went to jail for doing nothing. You see, even our society knows that if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, it's bad. We're to be plus people because it's bad not to do good. But second of all, doing good is the best way to overcome evil. Oh, we got a lot of whiners in our country today. We got folks who are always whining about the next generation. Let me tell you something. If you're concerned about the next generation, do something about it. 
get off your blessed assurance and volunteer to work in our children's ministry. You're worried about the, the next generation and go, that's all right to clap there. Everybody's clapping is gonna volunteer for the children's ministry, thank you. <laughs> Don't clap, do something. If you're worried about this next generation, hey, join, we got about a thousand middle schoolers that meet every Wednesday night. Walk into that den, would you? If you're concerned about the next generation and their work ethic or the way they speak or their respect, man, do something, get involved. We've got kids who come here who don't have a Christian influence over their life. They're here because of all the fun that we have and the songs that we sing, and they need significant adults in their life to shape their lives, do something about it. Some of you complain about the politics in our land. Get informed on some of the issues. Run for office. Vote. You know, if the Christians of America would vote, all the Christians of America would vote one time, we'd change our entire country. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Do something. Get involved in the process at the very root. And you know, people always say to me, Steve, you need to be saying more about politics. You need... No, you need to be doing more about it. I can talk all day a lot. I can throw red meat to the lions. That's not going to help anything. What's going to help is when we get involved and when we actually do good. In Romans, the 12th chapter, in verse 21, it says this. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The best defense is a great offense. If you keep the ball on the field going toward our goal, then the evil one doesn't ever get the ball. And the other great thing is that we overcome evil not only in the next generation, we overcome evil not only in our nation, we overcome evil not only in our world by doing good, but we overcome evil in our own lives. Do you realize that when you get busy doing good that you don't have time to do bad? Do you realize that one of the greatest pains in anybody's life where they're attempted to medicate that pain with their drug of choice is boredom. And there are a lot of us who are doing stuff, we're entertaining ourselves, we're doing frivolous stuff, and we get bored. We get bored because God never meant for us to live meaningless lives. When we get busy doing God's work in this world, there's no such thing as boredom, and we have meaning, and we have significance, and we're not as tempted to do those other things. We overcome evil by doing good. Be plus people because not to do good is bad because doing good is the best way to overcome evil, but also because doing good fulfills our purpose and brings us joy. There are two real important days in your life. There's a day when you are born, but there's another day that is equally as important, and that is when you discovered why you were born. And there, that comes in waves, really. It comes in the first wave when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but it's more than that. It's when you figure out why God formed you the way he formed you in your mother's womb and gave you the personality that he gave you with the talents that you have. When you discovered how God has redeemed every circumstance in your life and every experience and he's woven it sovereignly together and that when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And when he came, he brought with him spiritual gifts, supernatural abilities that you didn't have before you got saved. And how God all puts that together because he has something he wants you uniquely to do. Have you found that place? 
Have you found your place in God's marvelous plan? In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about a master who goes to a foreign country and he leaves some measures of money with his servants. And he says, I want you to be about my business. I want you to use this money for my kingdom. And when he comes back, he finds one particular servant who's been faithful to use the resources that his master had given him. And listen to what he says to him, Matthew 25, 23. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of of your master. You see, when we take a step of faith forward and we live out our purpose in this life, when we find the good that God has created us to do, not only does he give us a greater impact, not only does he give us a greater uh, opportunity to do good, but it says that we enter into the joy of our master. There is a joy that some of you have never experienced. And it's the joy of serving and doing good in the unique way that God has created you. Look back there in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship. In other words, he created us for this. Created in Christ Jesus, what? For, God, for good works which God prepared before it. Before you were ever born, God knew the impact that you could have on this world. And he sovereignly worked in your life to prepare you for that particular impact. Have you found that place of ministry? Have you found that place of service? This week I thought about some of our church members. And I want to just mention a few. I could mention thousands who have found their place. I thought about this week about Amy McGuffey, who years and years ago went to Egypt for the very first time and fell in love with the people there and has gone time and time again. And even while she's still here on stateside working with kids games and preparing other people to go to Egypt, she's found her sweet spot. I thought about Dr. Jim Howard, who does important work in El Paso and the emergency ward, but the thing that fulfills his heart the most is when he travels to Upper Ghana and he works with our churches that are there to deliver needed medical attention to people who would die if he were not there. And to many of them, he utters the word Jesus and they hear it for the very first time in their life. I, I think about Pam Ragsdale, who years ago traveled down to Mexico and she's uh, used the skills that she has in her profession to fit people with specially designed wheelchairs. And she's not, done, not only done that time and time again using many of her vacation days, but now she's trained people in our churches in Mexico to do that. And we send every year hundreds and hundreds of wheelchairs that give people hope and give people mobility. I think about Corbin and Hunter, two of our high school students. This picture was taken of them yesterday, and yet it's something that didn't just happen yesterday. Every month they raise money. And once a month, they take the money that they have raised and they gather up a bunch of their friends and they go down and they buy food with that money and then they cook that food and then they serve that food with our partner in the inner city Dallas Cornerstone Church to the homeless. I think about Rebecca Bradford, who's been a longtime member of our church and she has three children and she knows that God has called her to be a mom. One of the most important uh, 
unpraised jobs among us to shape young lives. And there are thousands like her in our church who believe that God has called them to motherhood and they are knocking the ball over the fence on a regular basis with their effort and their creativity and with their patience and with their gifts. Let me ask you today, have you found your good work? Have you found that place that God has called you to pour out your life, to make a difference in the lives of others? Finally, doing good empowers our witness and gives glory to God. There's two parts to any healthy witness. There is the saying of our witness and there's the doing of our witness. Many times we get drawn to one side or the other. There are people who say, you know what, I'm just gonna live a good life and I'm gonna do good things and and that's the way I witness. The problem with that is if you never tell people where your goodness comes from, then you get the glory. The, The spotlight is on you. You must, in addition to living out good works, you must also point to God and say, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because God's done so much for me and I'd love to introduce you to him. On the other extreme, there are people who preach all the time and they're always talking about God and everything else, but their lives don't match up to their rhetoric. They go to work late every day and they do a lousy job and they blame everybody else for their mistakes and they're not, uh, they're barely on the edge of being fired all the time. By the way, if that's you, please don't tell people you're a Christian. (laughs) Please don't invite anybody to leg point. Because you see, it's not either or, it's both and. It's that we're to live a life of excellence. We're to live a life of love and patience and generosity. And at the same time, we're to tell everybody why we're doing that. It's because of God and his goodness. It's not us, it's what he's doing inside of us. You see, people listen to plus people. People don't listen to subtraction people. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, Verse 16, I couldn't say it any better than this. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I remember years ago, back in the 80s, I went to a Promise Keepers rally. Some of you remember the Promise Keepers movement where for several years there were large groups of men who gathered in sports arenas all across our nation and listen to speakers to inspire them to be better dads, to be better husbands, to be better men of God. And I was at one that was held at Texas Stadium, the old home of the Dallas Cowboys. And I was there in a stadium with 60,000 other men and we were singing praises to God and we were being challenged. One particular night when we came to the end of our time, the, the last speaker said, hey, let's do something today as we leave. Let's make sure that we're a good Christian witness. Let's make sure that we leave a good impression on the folks who run this stadium. Let's pick up every single piece of trash that we've thrown down during this evening's festivities. And I saw something I haven't ever seen at Texas Stadium. I saw men picking up after themselves. Maybe you've not seen it at your home either. Perhaps that would be the best Mother's Day gift. I'm just saying but people were picking up toothpicks and peanut shells. They were shoving into cups and every, they were reaching every, under everybody else's chair. And I mean, the place was spotless. It really was. 
Now imagine what happened when the busloads of day laborers arrived to clean Texas Stadium as they did after every sporting event. Can you imagine when those buses pulled in and they jumped off with all their brooms and their water hoses and their trash bags and they started looking for the trash and they couldn't find any trash? What, what do you think they said to each other? Somebody might have said, what tornado came through here? And then somebody said, well, I know somebody was meeting here. I saw all the cars leaving the place. What group was meeting here that didn't leave any trash? And then somebody must have said, well, I, I heard it was a group of Christian men. What kind of impression do you think that that left on those folks, whether they knew Jesus or not? What if that was true in every circumstance? That we lived in such a way and that because of what God was doing inside of us, there were good works that were flowing all the time from us. How might that change the way the world looks at Christianity? Can you imagine? Here's some folks who are working at a 7-Eleven and a big old busload of teenagers pull up and it has the name of a church on the side of the van. They go, oh boy, Christian teenagers are about to come in. <laughs> or a sports team and a new player comes on and instead of talking about his batting average, they say, hey, I heard that he's a Christian. Man, this is great. That's going to really help our team because he's going to work harder than everybody else and he's going to encourage everybody else and he'll play whatever position because he just wants what's best for the team. Man, isn't it great that we got a Christian on our team? Or what if a moving van came into your neighborhood and the word got out that the folks who were moving into your neighborhood were Christians and everybody got excited about it because they knew what happened when a Christian family moves into the neighborhood. That's the person that always mows the lawn of whoever is sick. That's the one who takes care of the widows. And that's the one that you can trust. Wouldn't it be great if we would let God do a work in us, a goodness in us, and it would flow out of us in such a natural way that people would see our good works and glorify our Father? who is in heaven. Friends, that's the way it's supposed to work. Here, here's my dream. My dream is that everywhere that we have a campus and every community that we will have a campus, that there'll come a day when people would say, the best thing that ever happened to our city, the best thing that ever happened to our community is when Lake Point Church came to town. That's my dream, that they might see our good works and they might glorify our Father who is in heaven. Just some final thoughts. If indeed we're called to be plus people, and if indeed God is doing something inside of us so that there can be something that flows naturally out of us, that means one thing it means is there's no limit to the good that we can do. In 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, it says this, and, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you might have an abundance for every good deed. That phrase there, good deed, literally in the Greek, it means generosity. But it's not talking just about being generous in money. It's talking about being generous in our time and generous in our influence and generous in our service. And what this verse says is there is no limit to the good that we can do in this world. You see, there's a lie out there that says if I give away a little bit of money, I, I'm not going to have enough. If I give away my time, I'll run out of it. 
If I'll give my energy, I'll run out of energy. The Bible says that that's not true, that there is something supernatural when it comes to good works, that God will supply whatever we give. And you can keep on giving, and you can keep on serving, and you can keep on loving, and God's just gonna backfill. You're gonna shovel out, and he's gonna shovel in, and he shovels faster than you do. Also, though, I think it's important for us to understand that we're to encourage one another to these good works, not just somebody standing on a stage when we're studying the fruit of the Spirit, talking about the particular virtue of goodness, but we're to do that all the time, that we're to be cheerleaders for this thing called good works. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, in verse 24, it says this, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now think about that verse. It says we're to brainstorm. We're to be creative. We're to figure out every way that we can to encourage one another to love and to good deeds. And very frankly, that's one of the purposes of the church for us to gather here and for us to get excited about the impact that we can have on our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and our workplaces, to get together and, and, and consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. But let me say this, that God created the family before he created the church. And there is no better place to consider how we might encourage one another to love and to good deeds than in the home. Uh, that's a primary purpose of a mom, to uh, encourage her kids, to encourage her husband, to stimulate them to love and to good deeds. And the, way, the best way to do that is to model it. From time to time, I have an opportunity to mentor younger pastors, and we had that opportunity this week. We had about 14 pastors from all of the United States, from Alaska to the West Coast to the East Coast. We broke into smaller groups, and we talked. And one of the things that I always try to challenge that group to do is to be spiritually fit. You know, it's great to be physically fit, and there's a value to that, uh, to be intellectually fit, to read and to learn and to grow as a leader. Leaders are learners but to also be spiritually fit. And you know, whenever I encourage someone to be spiritually fit, I always call them to the scripture where we started today, to Galatians 5, through 23, because the, that scripture defines spiritual fitness. Spiritual fitness is not how many scriptures you can quote or how big your church is or uh, what theology you've learned in seminary. Spiritual fitness is the nine Virtues, the nine characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit. And I like to ask it this way. Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? Are you more loving? Are you more patient? Do you have more self-control? Are you more gentle today than you were a year ago? Is there more joy that's coming out of your life like a, a, a fresh fountain not affected by the happenings of life, but just pure joy. Do you have peace? And are you a peacemaker? Do you have goodness? But I always close that session by saying, you're probably not the best person to answer that question if you're more like Jesus today than you were a year ago. Probably the people who can answer that question the best are your family members. 
And I say, hey, guys, ask your wife, am I more like Jesus than I was a year ago? Ask your kids, am I more like Jesus than a year ago? Because we can put on airs at church, can't we? We can do a projection at work or even at school or even in the community, the neighborhood. But our family knows about whether or not God is creating a goodness in us that flows out in good deeds, that brings glory to him, that helps us fulfill our purpose and find his joy. It starts at home. And it's great to go to Africa, and it's great to go to Mexico. It's great to travel down to inner city of Dallas. But the folks who need our goodness the most are the people we live with. And the true test of whether God is doing something in us is judged best by those who are closest to us. Because if it's not happening there, friends, the rest of it's a sham. It really is. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, dear Father, that we don't have to leave here today and try harder to be good, but that as we abide in you and your word abides in us, as we're connected to you and corrected by you, you're producing in us a fruit that should just flow naturally from us. We thank you for the ripple effect that it has in our homes and then in our neighborhoods and in our community in our state, in our nation, and is happening in the world. And I thank you, dear Father, today there is no limit to the good that we can do because there's no limit to the good that you're forming in us. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.